good morning, everyone. Uh, I love the stories that we've been watching these last few weeks because it just goes to show you uh, the different ways that God works, right? How he works very differently in each and every one of our lives, but also very similarly at the same way. You know, God is a, as we've seen in all the videos, that he is a faithful father, right? He is a good father. And we sometimes don't see that. And other times, in, in those moments when we don't see that, it's stories like these that remind us how good and faithful our Father is. And that God is for us, that he, that he is not against us. And that even though we may only see what's right in front of us, uh, God sees it, you know, our future. He sees our past, he sees our present, but he has that future that he has set out before us. About five years ago this time, Christina and I, with our kids in Edmonton, were praying about um, moving down to Nashville. And we, uh, other people were praying, and they were asking us really how they could pray for us. And our big prayer request, above all else, was that we would find a church like Beulah, uh, the church that we were at in Edmonton here. And it's been amazing to see how God has provided that for us. And we only ended up visiting two churches when we came. The first church was... Mount Juliet, the, the fellowship at Mount Juliet when we were still at the school. It was the closest uh, church to our home. It was, this, it, was a, it was meeting in the school that our kids were going to go to, and, and we went there. It was, I think there was, what, 80 of us. Uh, the kids were meeting in the hallways. There were no designated kid spaces. It was just dividers. Uh, Neil could be heard. Where's Neil? Neil could be heard all throughout the hallway. Uh, with the kids and in greeting. I mean, that's, that's what the church was. And then the next week we visited a friend's church and as we were going there, our kids were like, where are we going? We want to meet at the church that meets in the school that we're going to be going to school at, you know, and they just thought that was the coolest thing. So in the end, we had this grand plan of visiting all these churches, but we only ended up visiting two in Mount Juliet. Uh, the fellowship at, the Mount, at Mount Juliet had become home for us. And that was five years ago. And it's, it's, it's crazy to see uh, about last fall, this last fall when Christina and I, as we were coming to the Lord and in, in scripture reading and in prayer and just having our own quiet time before the Lord, how we started sensing this last fall that God was beginning to stir our hearts, not knowing why, uh, not because anything was wrong at the fellowship. We love, we still love our church here and and not that anything was going on at Lifeway either where I work. Um, Lifeway was going great as well. But we just started sensing, I uh, didn't really know what it was, but we just started sensing that something was going to change. And we didn't know if it was just thoughts or if it was God, uh, but we just surrendered that to the Lord. And we were like, okay, God, here we are. We don't know what that is. We don't know if it's anything, but Lord, here we are. And then in January, when I went out to uh, Beulah Alliance Church, the, the previous church that I was pastoring at, uh, went out this last January to preach and then to uh, lead a staff retreat. That's all it was going to be just to reconnect and to, to help and, uh, yeah, just preach and, and lead a staff retreat for them. God just, in, in and through the conversations, the lead pastor there had been there for 28 years. Uh, he asked if we would begin praying about coming back and, and taking over and leading the church there. Now, the church has been around for 98 years old. Uh, 98 years, they've planted over 60 churches in Alberta and uh, just have, they, they've had such a heart for mission, a heart for multiplication, a heart for the broader kingdom, not just your own kingdom, not just the church's kingdom, but for the broader kingdom. And, and they asked if we would pray 
about coming back. Now, honestly, I didn't want to go back to Edmonton. Like, I know if you talk to Len, he was just in Alberta, and it's really beautiful this time of the year, but the, the other time of the year is like five months of winter. So, uh, you know, being here in middle Tennessee with the summers being as long as they are, I was just like, oh, I, I don't know if I want to go back to winter. Uh, you know, to Narnia, really, <laughs> is honestly how it feels. Um, and as you drive down into the States, it's like spring is here, right? So uh, that's how it felt. And initially when he asked, I was like, I don't really know if, um, you know, maybe we'll pray about it. But it, were, we, were we really going to pray about it was the question. And as we kept on talking, I told him, I was like, well, it's interesting how you ask because uh, it's this, this last few months we've been praying. I mean, we've been praying and God has been kind of unsettling our hearts and and, and we've been sensing maybe changes on the horizon, but we didn't really know why. And then Keith, the lead pastor there, said, huh, that's interesting. Because I've actually been praying in the last couple months that God would unsettle someone's heart. That was January. And we started praying, and for the next five months, we're praying and seeking God and seeking the counsel of the leadership here at, at our church, um, at Lifeway, our friends, and just really trying to figure out, okay, Lord, what do you have in store for us? What is this, you know, as we've seen, what, are, what, are, what is this story that you are writing for us? And one thing after another, we just started seeing God's hand and his, and his fingerprint all over this entire journey. So um, that's not, I mean, I'm not going to spend the whole time in this message talking about that. I just wanted to share that with you uh, before, we, uh, before we open up the passage, just because God just like he's been writing the story of those that we've watched. He's writing Christina's and my story. He's writing each and every one of your stories. So are you going to try to write your story yourself? Or are you going to let him write your story for you? Let's pray. Father, as we open up uh, your word, and as we discern who you are to us and who you are to our world. God, we just pray that you would fill us with your spirit, that you'd open up our hearts, our minds, our ears, that we would hear your word and follow after you, and that we would submit to the story that you are wanting to write in our lives, that better story. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, well, uh, let me ask you a question. Have you ever been mistaken for someone else? Right. Uh, anyone remember that, the, the soup Nazi from Seinfeld? Anyone here? So this, this guy, right, uh, this is exactly how I feel every time I go to this one particular Greek-Lebanese restaurant in Nashville. Right? The owner's not as mean as that guy, uh, but he's just super serious about his food. Uh, so that's kind of what I think. Uh, another one, uh, how many of you remember that story, that episode in Seinfeld where Elaine makes new friends? Uh, and when you look at these new friends, it's, it's really their, their doppelgangers of Kramer, George, and Jerry. Like complete doppelgangers of them. If you remember that episode, it was just this weird, bizarro, other world episode where they're just trying to figure out, you know, Elaine was trying to figure out which friends do I connect with. Uh, when I remember, or when, I, when I think about stories like this, it actually makes me wonder whether or not I have a doppelganger out there. Anyone else ever wonder 
If you have like a doppelganger in some sort of other, you know, other world out there, I don't know. If we were to think about this for a moment, I mean, just think about it, right? If you had ever, uh, if you had ever met someone, I mean, like if you met that person that was your doppelganger, and you just kind of looked at them in the mirror, or it felt like you were looking at the mirror because they looked exactly like you, what would you actually do? Right? It's fun to think about it, but what would you actually do if you met your doppelganger? Well, this happened a few years back when these identical twins who were separated at birth in China found each other. Okay? So 24 years later, identical twins found each other. In 2009, when Lulin was helping her relative run a fruit stand, uh, four grandmas came up to her. And they asked her, hey, why, why didn't you tell us that you were back from Fujian province? And, and, and they were like, oh, I guess now you're a big shot. Now that you're earning all this money that you don't even, you're not even going to call us up when you're back in town. Are you, are you too good for us? Was the way the conversation went. And then a few, a few months later, uh, this, this girl was approached again by this middle-aged man saying that she looked identical to one of his relatives. And then not long after, she was working at this one restaurant and this confused teenager asked her, you work at this restaurant too? Well, this kept on happening to her. Now, she had no idea that there was this identical twin out there, but it kept on happening to her over and over and over again until a few years later, she was finally able to grab hold of this mysterious woman's address from another person who had confused the two of them together. And then, well, after finding her address, she actually went and she looked up the address and knocked on the door and guess who was there to meet her? Yan Fei, her identical, long-lost twin sister. Now, if that wasn't crazy enough, Okay, get this, right? So identical, long-lost sister, both 24 years old. They both got married in 2007. Okay. Okay, that's one thing. Their husbands actually have the same name. Okay, their sons, they both have sons and they look identical. These two girls, they have the same voice, same kind of personality, sure, same number of hobbies. And and if your mind isn't already blown, get ready, okay? They both have a similar type of scar on a finger, on the same finger, (laughs) after having an accident as a kid when they were both six. Like, it's insane, right? It was like total doppelganger. Now, that's definitely being mistaken for someone else, Right? The problem with being confused for someone else, though, is that, they're, uh, that people are actually going to think whatever they want to think, right? especially if they think that you're someone else. They're going to place on you expectations that are completely unrealistic because they think you're someone else. Memories, thoughts, debts paid, debts owed. I mean, absolutely everything is placed on you and you can't do anything about it until they recognize that who they thought you were isn't actually you. That's what it would be like if you met your doppelganger one of these days. But, and this is actually probably what happened to Jesus over and over again in and throughout his life. Whenever Jesus healed, the crowds saw him as a healer. I mean, it's not 
rocket science, right? You heal, people see you as a healer. And do you blame them? I mean, Jesus, it's not like he just healed one time. He healed over and over again. He healed the sick. So people saw him as a healer. The problem was that's not who he was at the core. Yeah, healing is one of the aspects that he did, right? It's what he did, but it's not really at the core of who he was. Just like Jesus healed, he also taught. And everyone saw him. I mean, think about it. If you teach, people will see you as a teacher. And yeah, he was a teacher. It was amazing to look at all the things that he taught and all the knowledge that he had and the, and the way that he was able to tell stories and, and, and answer questions by asking questions. And it was amazing the type of teacher that he was. But really, at the core, he wasn't a teacher. He taught. He did that. It's one of the things he did, but it's not who he was. And when Jesus fed thousands and thousands of people, the the crowd saw him as the latest and greatest food truck, right? It was like this mobile food truck going around, getting whatever you want. I mean, that's how, probably how they saw him as they were hungry and wanting food. But once again, I mean, they saw him through the lens of what he did and not who he was. And if you look at Matthew chapter 15, right, this kept on happening over and over and over again with Jesus healing the sick, with him feeding, right, all the way through Matthew 15 before that as well. And when you look at even the the beginning of Matthew 16, we see that the Pharisees ask Jesus to show him a sign from heaven, right? So they're all trying to figure out who Jesus is. They have this image of who, they, who he reminds them of. Some people think of him as the coming Messiah. Other people think of him in other ways. And they're all placing these identities on who they think he is. But they don't actually know who he really is. So in Matthew 16, we see this. I mean, we see this happening over and over again. And, and then we look at verse 13. In verse 13, we see how Jesus decides after all of this that he needs to clarify his identity once and for all to his disciples. So if you look at Matthew 16, let's look at it from verse 13 and onwards, right? So Jesus is trying to clarify his identity for everyone in verse 13. So when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of men is? And they replied, some say John the Baptist, Others, Elijah, still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. It's interesting how initially when Jesus asks his disciples who he is, none of them say that he is the Messiah. Right? He asked them in verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? But they don't respond with, oh, the Son of Man, he's the Savior of the world. The Son of Man, he's the Son of God. Now, as you see in verse 13, Jesus doesn't say, who do people say that I am? Rather, he says, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And if you look at the book of Matthew, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what we call the synoptic gospels. And, and there, it's a story of Jesus and there's a lot of similarities, but it's like three different people seeing the same thing and writing it from their perspective. John is also one of the gospels, but he writes it in a different 
type of genre. He, he, he writes it in a different way. He's a little bit more poetic in a sense. So when you look at Matthew, the son of man type of language, Jesus refers to himself as the son of man a lot of times. We don't really see that much in the other gospels, but in Matthew, when Jesus refers to himself as the son of man, he's not just referring to some esoteric, this, you know, this ethereal son of man out there, whatever, philosophically, this son of man. That's not what he's talking about. He is referring to himself and the disciples know that he is referring to himself. There's this pattern in the book of Matthew. Right? So Jesus says, right? We, he asked, hey, hey guys, who, do, who am I? Right? Who do people say that the Son of Man is? So in response to Jesus asking his disciples who they think he is, it's interesting that they respond with what? John the Baptist. Elijah. Jeremiah. One of the prophets. Right? Everyone has placed a particular identity on Jesus. Everyone is seeing Jesus in the way that, he, they, that, that they want to see him. It's like when I come back from a trip, a longer trip, and I come home when my kids were younger, they saw me as daddy has come home. Right, that's how they saw it. And they would hug me, they would be like, daddy, daddy, daddy. They'd be so excited because it was daddy coming home. Well, now that they're older, when I come back, they see Santa Claus coming home. Right? They don't see me as daddy. They know that I'm their dad. But when I come home after a long trip, they are always even. And I've, I'm like, and I've even like, they're, they're like, oh, what did you get me? And I was like, I didn't get you anything because you asked me. Right? Even though I did get them something. So they know now that they can't say that when I come home. But inevitably, like within the first one or two minutes, they're like, oh, daddy, I love you. I miss you. They're like, okay. What did you get me? Right? <laughs> so that's how they see me. And I get that. Right, I get that. If we need something, if we want something, oftentimes we will see the person that we want something from. We will see them in a different light. Well, everyone was seeing Jesus the way that they wanted to see him. But I guess the question is, why do you think there is this lack of clarity? I mean, after seeing Jesus in all these different ways, why do you think that the people closest to him didn't actually see him the right way? Well, the crowds knew that he was a good man, that Jesus was a good man, and that also Jesus was a godly man. It's interesting how they didn't see him as a God man. Right? They didn't see him in that way. So when Jesus asks his disciples, look at verse 15, when he asks his disciples the same question, right? because he says in verse 13, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And then in verse 15, he, he says, but you, okay? Here are the answers, but you. Who do you say that I am? When he asks this, we see a different response in verse 16. Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. So how did Peter know this, right? How did Peter, why, is, why did Peter, first of all, why did Peter say that and not the other disciples? But why and how did Peter know this? Whereas the crowds, everyone else saw him is John the Baptist or Elijah or this, that, or the other, as a healer, as a teacher, as a, you know, everyone else saw him in that way, but how did Peter know? Jesus didn't even die. He hadn't died yet. He didn't raise from the dead. He, there, there weren't all these post-resurrection evidences and there, there wasn't any of this. Jesus was still alive and he was with him. And how did he know? How did Peter know that he was the Messiah? And how did he so confidently say, well, you're the Messiah. You're the son of the living God. How did he know that? 
Well, if you look at verse 17, we see the answer. Jesus responded, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because, what does it say here? Flesh and blood did reveal this to you, did not reveal this to you. Then how did he know? Who revealed to Simon that Jesus was was the Messiah and the Son of the living God? Who? The Father. The Father in heaven. He is the one who did that. The only reason Peter realized that Jesus' identity was not in what he did, but that it was as the Son of the living God and as the Savior of the living world, the only reason he knew that was because God revealed it to him. It wasn't after this long study or after years of Bible college or seminary or or after 15 Bible studies completed or all of this Bible memorizer. It wasn't after any of that. We see that the only reason that Jesus, that, that Peter discovered that Jesus was who he actually was is because God revealed it to him, right? Verse 17, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. God is the one who opened up Peter's eyes so that he could see the truth. It's kind of like that moment when you do all your research and you're trying to buy a car, right? You're, you're like, oh, you know, here's, and it, it's, there's so much research that goes into, especially if you need to buy a car, used, new to you, new. There's just so many out there in different models and years, and it could be pretty overwhelming. But if you're trying to do your research and buy a car, I mean, it's just, it takes hours and days, especially if you're that type, okay? And when you finally settle on a model and a car and a year and the, and the one car that you want, when you finally settle on that, don't you just notice that you start seeing those cars everywhere? Anyone know what I'm talking about here? Like, it's just everywhere you see them. I mean, almost to the point where it feels like everyone has just recently bought that exact same car. And obviously not, right? But, But you didn't notice all of those cars, that particular car, you didn't notice it beforehand, but it's now, it's like you're seeing them everywhere. So what really happened, right? Is it that everyone all of a sudden bought the car at that exact same time? Or is it that they were there all along, but your eyes were just opened? You just started seeing what was actually always there that you didn't see before, but you actually just started seeing it. Your eyes were opened. And to truly understand Jesus and to truly understand the God that we worship here in the scriptures, we need our eyes to be opened. And we need God's intervention for it to happen. And that's why every time I read the Bible with my kids, every time I read the Bible myself, I don't just, you know, wake up in the morning and read it like this. I don't do that because I don't want to read the word through my own mind and through my own eyes and through my own understanding. I don't want to just study this as some academic or, or as some academic exercise or some book. I don't want to do that. There are a lot of people who do that, do that and they don't see God. So when I read the scriptures with my kids, when I read the scriptures by myself, I'm always like, Lord, here I am. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and open my eyes so that I may see you through your word. Right? It doesn't always sound like that, but I'm always asking God to open my eyes. I'm always asking him to show me his word because this is a living word. God actively, currently, presently still speaks through his word to us today. 
But it's not just some academic book. We need to ask God to open our eyes, to see what's been there all along, but see it in a new way. That's the grace of God. When Peter saw and when Peter said, hey, Jesus, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, that was God's grace upon him to open his eyes so that he could see it. That was God's grace upon him. I mean, look at John 6, 44. We'll have it up here. No one can come to me unless, this is what Jesus said. No one, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I'll raise him up on the last day, right? This is God's grace It's his grace in opening up our eyes and allowing us to come to him, right? We see in John 3, 19, I mean, doesn't it say that that our nature and default is to love the darkness rather than the light? This is the judgment. The light is coming to the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil, right? We see that. Our default, our nature is to love darkness rather than light, And isn't this precisely why we need the grace of God to turn us to the light and to show us the real Jesus? Our default is darkness. And that's where we naturally go. But to experience freedom, to experience light, to experience the life that we read about here and that we sing about, we need God to turn our hearts to him. We need him to open up our eyes to the fact that Jesus is not just some historical figure. We need God in his grace to open up our eyes, to open up our hearts and our ears to understand that Jesus is not just some moral figure or religious figure, but that he is the son of God who came to earth to save us from our sins, right? To conquer sin and death, to, to, to usher in and to bring about his rule and his reign, not just in the world in general, but in our lives so that he can make everything right. right? We need God to turn our hearts to him and to open up our eyes so that we would see that Jesus is who he says he is, right? I am who you say I am, right? We, we, we sing that song, right? Who is Jesus? And who are we? Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. The one that we worship, he is the one who will wipe away every tear from our eyes. He is the one that is going to restore brokenness. And he is the one that's gonna bring bring about beauty from the ashes in our lives. So when we look at this passage in Matthew 16, my question to you is this. Who is Jesus to you? It's a simple question, but I really want you to think about this. Who is Jesus? is Jesus to you? Not who is Jesus to me. Not who is Jesus to your Sunday school teacher. Not who is Jesus to your small group leader. Not, not who is Jesus to what the encyclopedia says or, or what the dictionary says or, or what Wikipedia says. Or, I mean, not any of that. I'm not asking you who Jesus is to other people. I'm asking you, who is Jesus to you? I mean, imagine, just like Jesus turned to his disciples and asked the question, hey, but you, you, you disciples, who do you say that I am? How would you answer that question? Now, when we left Edmonton um, to come down here to Nashville, we never would have expected how much we would fall in love with and deeply belong to a local church. A church where on Wednesday nights, 
if Christina and I even slightly give the hint that we're not going to our life group, our kids start complaining and talking and they're like, no, we got to go. We have to go. We have to go. No, no, there's no way we can't go. And, and we're like, oh no, but I've been traveling or this, that. And we'll come up, like we will give our kids excuses. We love our life group, right? But occasionally there are certain days where you're super tired or everyone's sick and you're just like, I can't go, right? Even on those days, we have to go because our kids force us to go. Right? We're not forcing our kids to go. Our kids are forcing us to go. <laughs> right? That's how much our kids love the children's ministry here. Right? And th- to give you another idea, Saturday morning when our kids wake up, they're like, what are we doing today? Are we going to the fellowship? And we're like, no, it's Saturday. And they're like, oh, That's the kind of church that we have. That's the amazing children's ministry that we have as a church. This is a church where where I actually am not afraid of my kids becoming teenagers. I am for a lot of reasons, but I'm not, because of this church, I wasn't afraid of my kids becoming teenagers because I see all of you here. And I see Brian and the leadership of our student ministry. And I see the type of men and women of God that y'all are becoming. And the way that you guys lead, you guys are bringing about a measure of leadership to our church. You're not leaders of the future, you are leaders today. And you bring that about when you stand up, when we sing, when you serve at VBS, when you serve, in the, when you are talking to your friends about Jesus, you are modeling and ushering and you are leading our church. And that's why I wasn't afraid of my kids becoming teenagers because I see every single one of you. And I wanted my kids to become a part of the youth group, the student ministry here. This is a church that we've seen move from the school to this building, and this morning Len showed me all the construction that was, that was going on around here. And, and hopefully, you know, like us, you're, you know, you're, you're not only giving tithing to the church, but you're also giving into the building fund, right? The, because going back there and seeing the little that we can give, but when we all give together, going back there and seeing the construction there and just remembering that we were in a little school like less than 80 people. (laughs) And to see the salvations and the baptisms and the lives transformed in and through our church and the the sense of family and belonging that we have as a church here. And this is a church, this is the fellowship. This is a church who was family to us, who is family to us and not because of our life group. It really, I mean, Yes, this church is family because of who we see here, but it really became family because of our life group. Because right? in a sense, you only really get to know people on a surface level here on Sunday morning. And you can talk a little bit with donuts, you know, before and, and after in the hall. I mean, you could do a little bit of that and four years goes by and you're like, man, I really know them. And, and you ask, well, what do you know about them? And you, and you look at stories like that and you're like, I didn't know that about them. But I knew them for four years, I knew them for five, I knew them for 10 years, but you didn't know that about them. And in a sense, it kind of surfacey feels like family if all you do is come here. But if you're in a life group, that's when it becomes family. 
That's when our church becomes family. When you know others, when you are known by others. And that's when we see the one in others come out in the scriptures and the, the, transform, the transformation that we see that, you, that, 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 that people experience in the scriptures. We see that. And you can experience that when you're in family by being in a life group together. Right, this is a church where there are those moments, we all have it, I have it too, where the last thing I want to do is sing. Right, I just stand because everyone else is standing, but I don't really want to stand. Anyone, anyone know what I'm talking about? Right, there are moments like that where I'm just singing the words because I, it's, like, it's going to be awkward if I don't sing and everyone else is singing. And there are Sundays like that that I have as well. But as I continue to sing those words, this is the type of church where as I sing those words or even as I stand silent and I start hearing the church sing. And as I look around and see how the worship team is leading and how they're engaging in worship. And as I look around and, and see other people lifting up their hands, closing their eyes, worshiping and singing out to the Lord. This is the type of church when I see that, that actually encourages me to worship. And even though I have a million other things going on in my mind, this is a church where I know that even though the last thing I want to do is worship, when I come in here, I will worship and enter the presence of God. Because this is the type of church that we are. And this is a church who is so convinced that the Bible calls us to plurality in leadership. That leadership, that life is better together in shared leadership. That, that this is the church that believes this so much so that even though everything in our world is fast, 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 and we know that the more people there are in leadership, the slower decisions are made. We know that even though sometimes decisions are made slower than we wish, that because the scriptures call us to leading together and to the one in others and doing life with one another, that, that the church has said, oh, we, will, we will move, yes, slowly, but this is gonna be better because of the conviction that we have from the scriptures. We never thought that we would be a part of a church family like this. This is the, this, this is the fellowship, guys. I guess I should say y'all, right? This is the fellowship, y'all. This is the type of church that we are. And as I was reflecting on this, I really do believe that the secret to our church being the type of church we are, and I guess... Christina and I, seeing and experiencing our church as it is, I really do believe that the reason we see the church and it, it, it's, it's become this way for us, I really do believe it's, 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 it's become this way because we decided that when we became a part of the fellowship that we would give instead of take. I really do believe that's why it's become like that for us and why it's become like that for so many of you. Because we decided that in a world of consumerism, where now with Amazon, I mean, I got stuff coming to my house today, one day shipping, all right? And then I order something else and it said two day shipping. I was like, two day shipping? <laughs> it's like slowest ever. <laughs> right? this is the world we live in, right? And in a world that teaches us to take to take all you can take. I really do believe the way, the, the reason our church has grown and has impacted and has, that has spread the salt and light and love of Christ all throughout Mount Juliet and beyond 
is because we have people here who have decided to give instead of take. Who've decided to jump in feet first, knowing that there would be hiccups, and that realize that there is no perfect church. So instead of judging, comparing, and trying to go to this church and that church and doing a pros and cons list and all this, instead of doing all that, for Christina and I, and I know many of you, you know, we, we believe that the church is the way it is because we were like, you know what, we're going to join. This is not going to be perfect. And the areas that we see are lacking, we are going to step up and give. We're going to step up and serve. Not others, not for others to do. We're going to step up, become a part of this church and make this better. And we realized that this is the way it was because the church is not something that you go to and attend. It's who we are. So let's go back to my last question. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? Is Jesus someone that you want to give your life for because he first gave his life for you? Is Jesus someone who you can really come before and say with open arms, Lord, here I am? Is Jesus someone that you can come before and truly say, Lord, here I am. Guys, I know this is my last message and I'm going a little off script here. But if there's anything that I can urge you and beg you and ask you to do is to every day wake up and say, Lord, here I am, please. If there's anything that you would remember from this message or from our ministry here and our time here, is that you would just wake up every single day and say, Lord, here I am. Yeah, have your plans. Dream. Do your pros and cons. Let's do all, I mean, it's fine. But would you just, with the undertone, every single day say, Lord, here I am. And, and even if you make your plans and do everything that you want to do, in and through all of your decisions, if you could just begin that decision and end that decision with, yeah, Lord, I want to do this, but Lord, here I am. If you would just spend your days and your life with this prayer, you're going to embark on the most amazing adventure. And you're going to experience the life that Jesus calls us to. Better than your plans better than anything you've ever experienced. If you would just say, Lord, here I am. And some days, it's a, some days you just say it, even though you really don't want to. And other days when you're in the hospital room with a diagnosis that you did not expect, those are the days when you're gonna remember, okay, actually, I've been praying, Lord, here I am. 